Well, our opening songs this morning uh, capture something uh, of what I hope we grasp from this morning's passages. The desperate plea of those who are unclean, who need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Well, our uh, passage this morning is an ambitious undertaking of Leviticus chapters 13 and 14. And of all the passages in the Bible, uh, these two chapters have got to be up there, I think, with the genealogies as some of the hardest for us to read as Christians in the 21st century. With lots of uh, details about how a priest identifies uh, different skin diseases, uh, it gets very dry and difficult to remain engaged very quickly. So, uh, and yet, despite the fact that it, they present their own challenges, uh, this is the very Word of God. And God does not waste His words. So, uh, yes, even though these chapters uh, might not have lots of rich truth that you can meditate on for hours and hours, like uh, Exodus 3.14, perhaps, where the Lord says, I am who I am, or John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Despite the fact that uh, not not every verse in these chapters is going to be packed with that same kind of richness, uh, there is still much profit in meditating on these chapters. And remember, as Psalm 1 says, blessed is the one who delights in God's word. Uh, So let me encourage you as we read uh, these two chapters uh, in two sittings this morning uh, to remember that this is God's word and to seek to meditate on it as we hear it and as we hear it preached. Now to help us get our bearings this morning, uh, a reminder that we're in the chunk of Leviticus that is between chapters 10 and 16. Now, chapter 10 is significant because it was the story of Nadab and Abihu who offered unauthorized fire to the Lord and they were consumed by holy fire from God's presence in judgment for their sin. And chapter 16, on the other side of that, is significant because it details the Day of Atonement, which is the centerpiece of Israelite worship, the centerpiece of the book of Leviticus, and indeed the centerpiece of the whole Pentateuch. And so chapters 11 to 15, they give us instructions for how the priests were to discern between clean and unclean and what the people of Israel were to do if they were made unclean by any of these things. And so we saw in chapter 11 a couple of weeks ago how this applied with the animals that they ate and and touching the carcasses of dead animals. Last week we saw in chapter 12 how this applied to childbirth. And this week it is all about skin diseases. Now, one point of clarification before we jump into the text is that when we hear the term leprosy, which we're going to hear a lot through these chapters, uh, we, in our time, often think of what is sometimes called Hansen's disease. You may have heard of it. It is uh, also known as just leprosy. Uh, It's a long-term disease which causes damage to the nerves and skin and other parts of the body. It's something very unpleasant. And it was also contagious and could be spread uh, through human contact. So for us today, uh, we're not so worried about leprosy because a cure was discovered almost a century ago, Uh, but it was greatly feared in the ancient world for these reasons. And so whenever we see the word leprosy in our chapters this morning, uh, the term is actually a more general one to refer to all kinds of different skin diseases. 
Uh, I'm, I'm not going to go into the medical technicalities and speculation of what the, the ancient uh, Hebrew terms actually refer to. Uh, I'm not going to do that, partly because I'm no expert in that area, but also, also and mostly because that's not the main point of the text. And, and you are, if you're medically inclined and interested in that kind of thing, you're more than welcome to look that up yourself and read all the pages and pages of what people have thought these terms are referring to. Uh, but I'm not going to go into that this morning in great detail. So as we come uh, to chapter 13, it's good to bear that in mind, that uh, when we hear leprosy, uh, it, it may refer to a type of leprosy, but it could also be any other kind of skin disease. Now, the reason there are different regulations about all sorts of things like boils or spots or itches is, is for that reason. They're, they're, they're all different kinds. And so uh, as we listen to uh, at first chapter 13 this morning, but also chapter four, 14, Try to picture yourself in the sandals of the Israelites. Imagine what it would mean if you had uh, like even just a mild but persistent eczema like my wife has or some other skin disease and you knew that you would have to show yourself to the priest. Now picture the, the emotion of that. Consider how you might be feeling if that was you in that scenario. Well, as we come to God's word this morning, let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that you are good and kind. We thank you that you hear our cry in the wilderness. We praise you because you are the God uh, who is all-powerful and all-wise. And you are the God who reveals himself to us in his word. And so, Father, I pray that as we come to your word this morning, help us not to be daunted or overcome by the challenge of reading things that uh, in so many ways are culturally distant from us and hard to understand. But I pray that as we hear your word, uh, we would have open and soft hearts, minds uh, clear and ready to hear and engage, I pray that as a result, we would leave not just with more knowledge or understanding, but in greater worship and love of you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brad is now going to come and read Leviticus chapter 13 for us. Uh, so if you want to follow along in the Blue Bibles, that's on page 52. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priests. And the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. But if the spot is white in the skin of his body and appears no deeper than the skin and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest shall shut up the diseased person for seven days and the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. And if in his eyes the disease is checked and the disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall shut him up for another seven days. And the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day. And if the disease area has faded and the disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only an eruption. And he shall wash his clothes and be clean. 
But if the eruption spreads in the skin after he has shown himself to the priest for his cleansing, he shall appear again before the priest, and the priest shall look, and if the eruption has spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous disease. When a man is afflicted with a leprous disease, he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall look. And if there is a white swelling in the skin that has turned the hair white, and there is raw flesh in the swelling, it is a chronic leprous disease in the skin of his body, and the priest shall pronounce him unclean. He shall not shut him up, for he is unclean. And if the leprous disease breaks out in the skin, so that the leprous disease covers all of this, all the skin of the diseased person from the head to the foot, so far as the priest can see, then the priest shall look, and if the leprous disease has covered all his body, he shall pronounce him clean of the disease. It has turned all white, and he is clean. But when raw flesh appears on him, he shall be unclean, and the priest shall examine the raw flesh and pronounce him unclean. Raw flesh is unclean, for it is a leprous disease. But if the raw flesh recovers and turns white again, then he shall come to the priest, and the priest shall examine him. And if the disease has turned white, then the priest shall pronounce the diseased person clean. He is clean. If there is in the skin of one's body a boil and it heals, and in the place of the boil there comes a white swelling or a reddish white spot, then it shall be shown to the priest. And the priest shall look, and if it appears deeper than the skin... Uh, and its hair has turned white, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a case of leprous disease that has broken out in the boil. But if the priest examines it, and there is no white hair in it, and is not deeper than the skin, but has faded, then the priest shall shut him up seven days. And if it spreads in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a disease. But if the spot remains in one place and does not spread, it is the scar of the boil, and the priest shall pronounce him clean. Or, when the body has a burn on its skin, and the raw flesh of the burn becomes a spot, reddish white or white, the priest shall examine it. And if the hair in the spot has turned white and it appears deeper than the skin, then it is a leprous disease. It has broken out in the burn, and the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a case of leprous disease. But if the priest examines it and there is no white hair in the spot, and it is no deeper than the skin, but has faded, the priest shall shut him up seven days, and the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. If it is spreading in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a case of leprous disease. But if the spot remains in one place and does not spread in the skin, but is faded, it is a swelling from the burn, and the priest shall pronounce him clean, for it is the scar of the burn. When a man or woman has a disease on the head or the beard, and the priest, the priest shall examine the disease. And if it appears deeper than the skin, and the hair in it is yellow and thin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is an itch, a leprous disease of the head or the beard. And if the priest examines the itching disease and it appears no deeper than the skin and there is no black hair in it, then the priest shall shut up the person with the itching disease for seven days. And on the seventh day the priest shall examine the disease. If the itch has not spread and there is no, in it no yellow hair and the itch appears to go no deeper than the skin, then he shall shave himself. But the itch he shall not shave. And the priest shall shut up the person with the itching disease for another seven days. And on the seventh day, the priest shall examine the itch. And if the itch is not spread to the, in the skin and it appears to be no deeper than the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. And he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the itch spreads in the skin after his cleansing, then the priest shall examine him. And if the itch is spread in the skin, the priest, shall, the priest need not seek for the yellow hair, for he is unclean. But if the priest 
But if in his eyes the itch is unchanged and black hair has grown in it, the itch is healed and he is clean, and the priest shall pronounce him clean. When a man or a woman has spots on the skin of the body, white spots, the priest shall look, and if the spots on the skin of the body are a dull white, it is a leucoderma that has broken out in the skin. He is clean. If a man's hair falls out from his head, he is bald. He is clean. And if a man's hair falls out from his forehead, he has bald head, or the bald forehead, a reddish-white diseased area. It is a leprous disease breaking out on his bald head or his bald forehead. Then the priest shall examine him. And if the disease swelling is reddish-white on his bald head or on his bald forehead, like the appearance of leprous disease in the skin of the body, he is a leprous man. He is unclean. The priest must pronounce him unclean. The disease is on his head. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. When there is a case of leprous disease in a garment, whether a woolen or linen garment, in warp or woof of linen or wool, or in a skin or in anything made of skin, if the disease is greenish or reddish in the garment, or in the skin or in the warp, or the woof, or in any article made of skin, it is a case of leprous disease, and it shall be shown to the priest. And the priest shall examine the disease, and shut up that which has the disease for seven days. Then he shall examine the disease on the seventh day. And if the disease has spread in the garment, in the warp, or the woof, or in the skin, whatever be the use of the skin, the disease is a persistent leprous disease. It is unclean. And he shall burn the garment, or the warp, or the woof, the wool or the linen, or any article made of skin that is diseased, for it is a persistent leprous disease. It shall be burned in the fire. And if the priest examines, and if the disease has not spread in the garment, in the warp or the woof, or in any article made of skin, then the priest shall command that they wash the thing in which is the disease, and he shall shut it up for another seven days. And the priest shall examine the diseased thing after it has been washed. And if the appearance of the diseased area has not changed, though the disease has not spread, it is unclean. You shall burn it in the fire, whether the rot is on the back or on the front. But if the priest examines, and if the diseased area has faded after it has been washed, he shall tear it out of the garment or the skin or the warp or the woof. Then if it appears again in the garment, in the warp or the woof, or in any article made of skin, it is spreading. You shall burn with fire whatever has the disease. But the garment, or the warp, or the woof, or any article made of skin from which the disease departs when you have washed it, shall be washed a second time and be clean. This is the law for a case of leprous disease in a garment of wool or linen, either in the warp or the woof, or in any article made of skin, to determine whether it is clean or unclean. Thank you, Brad. You deserve at least a pat on the back for that. And another one for the next chapter when you read that off later. Let me begin by asking you this morning, have you ever felt like you were on the outside? Perhaps you were one of those people who were always popular and never lacked friends. Always part of the cool group. In fact, you made the cool group. Or perhaps you always found it difficult to break into the so-called cool group. Always felt like you were on the outside. Created your own cool group on the outside of the group. 
think that's basically what I did. Well, imagine that feeling of being outside the cool group and dial that up to 11. That's the feeling of the worst possible outcome that we find in our passage this morning. And thanks be to God that he has made a way for us to be brought in. This morning we're looking at Leviticus chapters 13 and 14 in two parts. So I'll preach for about 20 minutes or so now and then we'll pause to reflect on that before then hearing chapter 14 after which I'll preach again for another 20 minutes or so. And I have two very basic uh, headings uh, for the two chapters. Sorry, give me one second while I try and make this work. Here we go. So the title for the sermon this morning is Holy, Holy. And the heading for Leviticus chapter 13 is Unclean. This chapter is all about how to determine whether a person or a garment is clean or unclean. And the first section of the chapter uh, finishes with what happens when a person has a disease that is uncurable, that is, or it's spreading, or it shows the signs that we've just uh, read and heard about. In verse 46, it says that they dwell outside the camp. And the second section after that of chapter 13 is all about garments uh, and finishes with a, a summary statement, which we've seen a few times in the book of Leviticus. That gives us a marker of the sections that we are looking at this morning. And so verse 59 tells us that, that, that this is the summary, this is the law of these things. So broadly, chapter 13 is divided up into these two sections uh, of purse people and garments, and it gives us instructions on how the priests would determine whether they were clean or unclean. And you might remember from last week, uh, this is a command that God gave to the priests in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 10. This is one of their jobs, one of their roles. They must discern, distinguish, determine between what is clean and unclean. Now, this morning, I don't plan to walk through the whole chapter in great detail for obvious reasons, uh, but I will give us broad brushstrokes and home in on a few key things from the chapter. Now, as I mentioned in the introduction earlier, these passages deal not just with the kind of leprosy that we are familiar with uh, when we hear the word, but a variety of skin diseases. And that's why we see these, uh, this instruction in the first few verses. Read along with me in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priests, and the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. So if a person had a swelling or an eruption or a spot, they had to show themselves to the priest so that the priest could examine it. And notice how it says a person there in verse 2. Even though the rest of the passage uses the term he to refer to the person with the disease, uh, that's just reflecting how the original language used the term. In the same way English did it many years ago. We, would, we could speak in the masculine and everybody understood that we were, talk, we were talking about everybody. 
And so uh, that's what <clears throat> the, the person at the beginning of that sentence is getting at. The fact that this could refer to a man or a woman <clears throat> who had the skin disease. Now, I don't know about you, but now, I personally have always pictured the lepers in the Bible as being men. Uh, and maybe all the ones mentioned in the stories actually were. Uh, but these chapters make it clear that both men and women could be infected with these and they had to be treated accordingly. So for us today, who live very much in a world that separates the medical from the religious, our first instinct is to read this and to think that these instructions and this treatment must be given for medical reasons, right? Perhaps you've heard that. Some people say that uh, God gives these laws uh, you know, to protect the people and, and for medical uh, reasons. Now, it's certainly true that there would be some medical benefits to separating somebody, perhaps who might have a contagious disease, from the rest of the community. Of, of course, that, that's logical. We all know what that's like. Again, COVID, good old COVID. We can just bring that up whenever we talk about infectious diseases. We understand that whole idea. But that's not the focus of these chapters. And that's been the case all along with these chapters. Uh, Though there might be some health benefit to eating certain foods, for example, the main function of chapter 11 is not eating healthily, but to ensure that the people were ceremonially clean. So it is with these laws about skin diseases. Now, that may raise some questions, but it's important to know that from the outset. This is the purpose of all of these laws that we have just heard read. As we've seen all along in the book of Leviticus, the laws that are given are about how an unholy people may come into the presence of a holy God. God's concern here is that the people of Israel were consecrated, that they were set apart for him. And so it's worth reminding us, as I mentioned last week, that being clean or unclean was a matter of ceremony, of ritual, A person was not necessarily in sin when they were unclean. And it was not necessarily sin to intentionally become unclean. So for example, just like a mother giving birth, like we saw last week, it's not sinful to have a child, even though that made her unclean. It's the same with skin diseases. This made people who got skin diseases uh, unclean, but it was not necessarily because they were sinful. Now, to be sure, some people were struck with leprosy or skin disease of some sort as judgment from God for their sin. Uh, This might be a tricky one for the kids, but kids, can you think of any examples of that? Uh, it's, It's tricky. I might take turn to the adults. Can, can any adults think of an example of that? Sorry, Miriam. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> I can't remember it myself, but yes. Any others? Sorry? Elisha 7, that's right, Gehazi. So those, those are two examples of people who were struck with leprosy for their sin. King Uzziah from 2 Kings uh, chapter five, verse 15, verse 5 is another example. So it was possible that this could be a result of God's judgment upon the person's sin. But as the book of Job teaches us, not all suffering is a direct result of our personal sin. Sometimes, perhaps most of the time, it is a result of the fall, a result of the world as we live in it. And yet, God is sovereign over all, and in him 
we put our trust. So chapter 13 details the various types of skin diseases the priest was to examine and pronounce either clean or unclean. Some of the things that, uh, that he was on the lookout for, as we saw, were uh, if this, the hair in, in the diseased area turned white, or perhaps if the spot went deeper than the skin, or if it was raw flesh, or if the diseased skin looked like it was spreading. And if any of these things uh, were true and evident of the, of the skin disease, then they were unclean. Now, the spreading part in particular is important, is, uh, is important because, as we heard in the chapter, one way the priest had to check to make sure it wasn't spreading was to shut them up for seven days. Now, we don't know what shut up means, at least not in this context. Uh, perhaps uh, it was just staying in a room without physical contact with other people. But the purpose of that was made clear. Now, kids, you remember what the number seven usually re- symbolizes in Scripture? completeness. That's right. And so in this case, it symbolizes a full week of observation. If the disease looks like it hasn't spread, then they are clean. But if it has, then they are unclean. Now notice how for most of this chapter in chapter 13, the focus is on determining whether the spot or the boil or the swelling or the disease or the, 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 on the head or the beard or the itch or whatever it is, uh, it makes them clean or unclean. It is all about determining, discerning whether the person is clean or unclean. The process is that they notice one of these things on their skin and then they come to the priest and the priest makes that determination. I must admit, uh, verses 40 and 41 are two of my favorites in this chapter. If a man's hair falls out from his head, he is bald, he is clean. If a man's hair falls out from his forehead, he has baldness of the forehead, he is clean. So balding is not a disease, friends. Men, you might be afraid of balding because of how it might make you look, but there is nothing wrong with it. This is one of the few times where I think the biblical language works in modern language, even if the meaning is uh, different. So if, if, you're, if you're going bald and people try to give you a hard time about it, uh, you can just respond by saying, well, the Bible tells me that it is clean. It's a clean thing. But of course, if the issue with the bald head is a skin disease, then he is unclean. That's, that's the point of that passage. So you get the picture, right? You get the picture of the chapter. Through these verses, from verse 3 all the way through to verse 44, we have instructions on what a person is to do if they find that they have a swelling or eruption or a boil or an itch or one of those things. As I said, I get that this chapter makes for a great cure for insomnia for us today. If we have an issue with our skin, we just lather on the pawpaw cream or sorbeline or whatever and and go to the doctor and we're sure we'll, we'll deal with it. It's hard for us to consider how this chapter could be profitable for us today. But put yourself in the shoes of the ancient Israelite, especially the one who had just had a spot break out on their skin. You see, not only do you have the actual skin disease to think about, and not with any kind of modern technology or medicine that would come thousands of years later to to fix it, Now you have the possibility of also being ceremonially unclean. I can picture someone desperately wanting to know exactly what their skin condition is and hoping that it isn't something serious. 
praying that God would be merciful to them, that it's not a, a chronic condition or a serious one that is going to leave them perhaps permanently unclean. And you can picture that because the most devastating thing about this chapter is what happens when a person is unclean. Let's read from verse 45. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. If you thought uh, not making it into the cool group was bad, imagine this. The person with the unclean skin disease wasn't just thrown out of the cool group. They were thrown out of the community, of the camp. Again, it's hard for us to grasp the severity of this. We live in such a mobile society that our community is not necessarily the people who live near us. We just, we just drive whatever kilometers to people that we want to hang out with. That's our community. No, but in these days, in these times of ancient Israel, we're talking about a group of people traveling through the wilderness together as one people, as the nation of God that has just been delivered out of slavery from Egypt. These are their people. It's not like if you were cast out, you could just suddenly go down the road and hang out with somebody else, different club. You can imagine how devastating this would be. Not only were they separated from their people, they had to make it extremely clear that they were unclean. So that if anybody came near, they would see the hair hanging loose, the torn clothes, the upper lip, and the person crying out, unclean, unclean, basically, stay away from me. You do not want to touch me. They had to sound their own warning bell. And these were also signs of mourning for, for good reason. To be afflicted with this skin disease that led to this tragic outcome? You can understand why somebody wouldn't be thrilled about that. Notice how it says there, they were unclean for as long as they had the disease. So until they could show themselves to the priest and show that they no longer had the skin disease, they were unclean and remained outside the camp. Or when Israel eventually came into the promised land and settled and built cities outside the city walls. Now to be clear, this, this doesn't mean that they were being judged. As I mentioned before, this is not a judgment on their sin. You see, this is a different phrase to being cut off from his people, which we've heard a couple of times already, and you find that also in other parts of the Pentateuch. That phrase means judgment. It probably referred to exile or execution, and it meant being removed from God's covenant people for breaking his covenant. But this phrase simply means that the person lived outside of the camp, and so living outside of the camp did not necessarily mean that they were cut off from the covenant. They could still be part of God's people, though they could not be in the camp to live. 
And so you can imagine it's possible that perhaps family or friends would have gone out to visit and care for these people, perhaps bringing them food or whatever else they needed to survive. And they would just then have to ensure that they were ceremonially clean after making contact with them. And it's also likely that living alone here doesn't mean that they weren't allowed to associate with others who had the same condition. In fact, we have examples of this in Scripture. 2 Kings 7 in verse 3 talks about the four lepers who were just hanging out together outside the city walls. And then Luke 17 tells us about 10 lepers who were outside the city who called out to Jesus. Notice how it says there in verse 12 that they stood at a distance recognizing that they were not to touch others. So I point all of that out to give us some context of, of this. Of what it means for the unclean person to dwell outside. But I don't point it out to make us think that it wasn't as bad as it sounds. No, it was bad. You can imagine how bad that would be. Now, I think to myself, I wonder if Robin had been one of these people... And our son Theo, who looks like he might have a similar skin condition. Can you imagine how tragic this could be for people and their families? Can you imagine how those who still loved and trusted the Lord through this trial would respond? How they might cry out to him. How they might long for him to bring healing to their bodies so that they could participate in society again, so that they could live normal lives and be with their families again, so that they could dwell in the community again, so that they could worship God at the tabernacle with the people of God again. Brothers and sisters, would you keep trusting God in the wilderness? in any affliction, in any suffering that comes your way, how would you respond? It's easy to read and imagine this and think that God is mean and cruel. But he never is to those who trust him. As we've seen all along, this was all for the purpose of showing the Israelites what it meant to that he is holy and that they were meant to be a holy people, to reflect his nature and his character. As the risk is that those with a skin disease would defile the people and perhaps at worst, defile the tabernacle, which as we know can come with devastating consequences. Our God is holy and we are not As Leviticus 7.21 tells us, if a person touched one of these unclean people and then ate some of the peace offering without first making themselves clean, they would be cut off from the people. That is all meant to demonstrate for us, for the world, the holiness of God. God's people were to be holy and to be set apart in how they lived in every area of life. Because to be holy meant being wholly devoted to the Lord. W-H-O-L-L-Y. To be holy meant 
to be completely surrendered to him. This is why we have the second half of chapter 13. As verses 47 to 48 tell us, these are all about if there is a disease in the garment, in the warp or the woof of linen or the linen or the wool and the skin and that kind of thing. Given the humid climate of the region, it would not be surprising if things like clothes and skins could get moldy, right? which is probably what this is referring to. It's probably mold. If ancient Israel were in Darwin, I don't think, I don't think they would have been able to keep any of their garments or skins, especially at this time of the year. Now, it's worth noting for us that, that clothes were far more valuable for ancient Israelites than they are to us. Now, I asked Robin, uh, we've been packing our house and, and getting rid of stuff this week. I asked Robin how many bags of clothes she's given away in the last couple of weeks as we've prepared to move. Uh, she estimates that it's probably somewhere between 50 and 100 <laughs> bags of clothes. And most of them are, are like, they're like kid clothes, right? And most of them, we didn't even pay for them. But for a people who didn't have access to Kmart and factories in Bangladesh to make heaps of clothes for really cheap, clothes in ancient Israel were costly. Not just in materials, but also in time. So to have to tear a section of the garment out because it's unclean, or perhaps to burn it completely because it is unclean. Just think about that. That is no small thing. And so the theme continues. If the laws in Leviticus were graded on their practicality or their pragmatism, they would fail miserably. It doesn't make practical sense to to burn up completely so many of their animals as sacrifices to the Lord. It doesn't make practical sense to limit which animals you can eat if you're hungry or not. It doesn't make practical sense to burn up a garment that has a stubborn mold stain on it. If you just want it to be practical, surely you just clean it and you'll be fine. But such is the way for the one who gives themselves completely and wholly to the Lord. You see, these laws reminded the people of Israel that there is no single area of their lives that is not to be lived in complete devotion to him. Do you live the same way? Is every inch, every quarter, every thing in your life wholly devoted to the Lord? And do we, do we live in this way, not just in the positive obedience that we seek to live for the Lord? You see, we, we're striving for fruit of the, the Spirit. We're striving to live in, in faithfulness to, to God's commands. In, in light of His grace, we're seeking to live lives that are holy and consecrated to Him. But do you also do so in the acceptance of suffering and hardship? Or is that the point in which you start to say, well, no, God. I don't want to live according to what you say. Just let me mope and grieve on my own. What if you were the person unclean in the wilderness? Perhaps you feel like that's you. What is your response? 
Do you lay the blame at God's feet and threaten to walk away from him? Or do you let and ask the Holy Spirit to refine you, to perfect your faith and to help you know the Lord in ways that you have not known him before? Though Leviticus 13 doesn't tell us how the Israelites responded emotionally to these laws and to the hardship and the heartbreak that this would have caused, perhaps we get a window of that in the Psalms. At the very least, I can imagine a faithful Israelite being declared unclean and living outside the city and reciting Psalms. Knowing, recognizing, hey, this may be my lot in life. This may be what God has sovereignly ordained for me. But I will know and trust that he is good. Seeking healing yet holding fast to him. Waiting for his salvation. I can imagine one such person singing Psalm 130. As they waited for the Lord's deliverance, whether that looked like physical healing or sustaining grace until they were taken home to be with him. Allow me to read it for us this morning and then we'll sing it together. Feel free to turn there in your Bibles, it won't be on the screen. Or feel free to close your eyes and listen, meditate on the words of God. Psalm 130, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. We're going to sing that together this morning. Let me encourage you to remain seated, or if you'd like to stand, you can. Leviticus 14. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Then if the case of the leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him him who is to be cleansed two live clean birds, and cedar wood, and scarlet yarn, and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds, in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. 
and he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field. And he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe himself in water, and he shall be clean. And after that he may come into the camp, but live outside his tent seven days. And on the seventh day he shall shave off all his hair from his head, his beard, and his eyebrows. He shall shave all his, off all his hair, and then he shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and he shall be clean. And on the eighth day he shall take two male lambs without blemish, and one ewe lamb a year old without blemish, and a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, and one log of oil. And the priest who cleanses him with oil shall set the man who is to be cleansed and these things before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall take off, take one of the male lambs and offer it for a guilt offering along with the log of oil and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb in the place where they kill the sin offering and the burnt offering in the place of the sanctuary. For the guilt offering, like the sin offering, belongs to the priest it is most holy. The priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering, and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the right thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Then the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand, and dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand, and sprinkle some oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And some of the oil that remains in his hand, the priest shall put on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the right thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot, on top of, his, of the blood of the guilt offering. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand shall be put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. Then the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. The priest shall offer the sin offering to make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his unclean, uncleanness. And afterward he shall kill the burnt offering, and the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be clean. But if he is poor and cannot afford so much, then he shall take one male lamb for a guilt offering to be waived, to make atonement for him, and a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, and a log of oil. Also two turtle doves or two pigeons, whichever he can afford. The one shall be... A sin offering and the other a burnt offering. And on the eighth day he shall bring them for his cleansing to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. And the priest shall take the lamb of the guilt offering and the log of the oil. And the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb of the guilt offering. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed. And on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. And the priest shall pour some of the oil into the palm of his own left hand and shall sprinkle with his right finger some of the oil that is in his left hand seven times before the Lord. And the priest shall put some of the oil that is in his hand on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed and on the thumb of his right hand on the big toe of his right foot in the place where the blood of the guilt offering was put. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand shall be put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. To make atonement for him before the Lord. And he shall offer one of the turtle doves or pigeons, whichever he can afford, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering, along with a grain offering, 
and the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for him who is being cleansed. This is the law for the him who, in whom is a case of leprous disease, who cannot afford the offerings for his cleansing. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When you come into the land of Canaan, which I give you for a possession, and I put a case of leprous disease in a house in the land of your possession, then he who owns the house shall come and tell the priest, There seems to me to be some case of disease in my house. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes to examine the disease, lest all that is in the house be declared unclean. And afterward the priest shall go in, in to see the house, and he shall examine the disease. And if the disease is in the walls of the house with greenish or reddish spots, and if it appears to be deeper than the surface, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house seven days. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day, and look, if the disease has spread in the walls of the house, then the priest shall command that they take out the stones in which the disease in which is the disease and throw them into an unclean place outside the city. And he shall have the inside of the house scraped all around, and the plaster that they scrape off shall they shall pour out in an unclean place outside the city. Then thou shalt take other stones and put them in the place of those stones, and he shall take other plaster and plaster the house. If the disease breaks out again in the house, after he has taken the stones and scraped the house and plastered it, then the priest shall go and look. And if the disease has spread in the house, it is a persistent leprous disease in the house, it is unclean. And he shall break down the house, its stones and timber and all the plaster of the house, and he shall carry them out of the city to an unclean place. Moreover, whoever enters the house while it is shut up shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever sleeps in the house shall wash his clothes, and whoever eats in the house shall wash his clothes. But if the priest comes and looks, and if the disease is not spread in the house after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean, for the disease is healed. And for the cleansing of the house he shall take two small birds with cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop, and shall kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water, and shall take the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet yarn along with the live bird, and dip them in the blood of the bird that was killed, and in the fresh water, and sprinkle the house seven times. Thus he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird, and with the flesh water, fresh water, and with the live bird, and with the cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet yarn. And he shall let the live bird go out of the city into the open country. So he shall make atonement for the house, and it shall be clean. This is the law for any case of leprous disease, for an itch, for leprous disease in a garment or in a house and for a swelling or an eruption or a spot to show when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law for leprous disease. Thank you again, Brad. Another pat on the back. One of the things I love about these two chapters and about the Bible generally is that it doesn't stop at the problem. The Bible is, is always constantly moving towards redemption. And so as we sing with the psalmist, when we sing, I will wait for the Lord, my soul waits for the Lord. That's not the kind of waiting when you're waiting for an unreliable friend that you think is going to come and pick you up, but they never do. That's the kind of waiting that, that is, is a waiting that can say, even though I don't know, God, how long this is going to go for, I don't know how long, I don't know when the answer is going to come, but I know that it will come. I know that your redemption will come.
And that's what we have in, that's what we see in chapter 14 and what it points to. My heading for chapter 13 was unclean. Kids, can any of you guess what the heading for chapter 14 is? Clean, that's right. Clean. You see, chapter 14 follows a similar structure to chapter 13 in that it begins with laws about people with skin diseases and then has laws for objects with diseases or infections, whatever it is. And in this case, it's houses. But the most significant difference between the two chapters is that while God gave instructions about how the priests determine what is clean and unclean in chapter 13, chapter 14 is about the process for how that person is cleansed from their uncleanness. Let's read from verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priests, and the priests shall go out of the camp, and the priests shall look. Then if the case of leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priests shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. Notice how in verse 3, the first step of the priest is seeing if the person is healed of the skin disease. So this is another indicator that the central concern here is not physical health. What we're about to read isn't the the official cure for the illness. Chapter 14 is not a, a, a medical manual on how to heal these skin diseases. You see, the assumption is that the person is already healed However, that happened. Maybe the Lord miraculously healed them. Maybe their skin just cleaned, cleared up naturally. Everything that follows in chapter 14 about the person uh, and, and how they are clean is about how they become ceremonially clean so that they no longer have to live outside the camp. And what follows are instructions about what to do. So first, they take two live birds, they sacrifice one, and they sprinkle its blood on the person, again, seven times, symbolic for completeness. And then they let the other bird go. And that's the same as what happens with one of the two goats in Leviticus chapter 16 on the Day of Atonement. We'll look at that in a couple of weeks. Then there's some shaving and washing, some waiting seven days, some more shaving and washing, and then they're clean. Well, that seems like an ordeal. Glad that's over. But wait, there's more. In verse 10, we read that on the eighth day, uh, when we read this as a family yesterday, uh, my daughter Mia said, on the eighth day? But there is no eighth day. There are only seven days in a week. So the eighth day, just in case you're wondering there, that's the first day of the next week. On the eighth day, they have to give offerings two male lambs, a ewe lamb, and a grain offering. Those lambs to be without a blemish, which remember, as we saw, that's the best of the best. And they were to offer up a sin offering, a guilt offering, and a burnt offering. Now, all the regulations of these offerings can be found in the first, chapter seven, uh, first seven chapters of the book of Leviticus. And we did that some time ago. Uh, But even if you can't remember much about them, or even if you don't know much about them, you can tell even from this description that this is costly. 
to two birds, three lambs without blemish, grain and a log of oil. A log, by the way, was a measurement somewhere between one and two cups. That is a huge payment. That is a massive cost to pay just to be welcomed back into the camp. And for those too poor to afford that, well, God graciously allows them to bring just one lamb and then flour and birds instead of the others. Again, we've we've seen that before, and we see that God gives this gracious provision for the lower in society. And that process is detailed in verses 21 to 32, which looks pretty much the same as the stuff that came before. But that was in place because for the poorest among the people, it would have still would have been a significant cost. And so whoever it was, whatever their, their income was, whatever their assets were, whatever it is they owned, they still had to pay this and it was still costly. It's worth us asking ourselves again, brothers and sisters, what would you give up to be with the Lord? Do you recognize the treasure that he is? Because unless we realize that he is the pearl of great price, that he is the treasure worth giving up everything, selling everything for, then the cost to follow him, the cost to be with him, the cost to be in his presence will always seem too expensive, too costly. But for the one who is wholly devoted to the Lord, completely, for the one who loves the Lord with all heart, soul, mind, and strength, who would gladly give up everything just to be with him, this is but a token of a price. Think about it like this. If you knew that you could gain all the treasure in the world that you ever needed, but it would cost you everything that you currently have right now, who would not take that deal, right? Is this not the treasure that comes to us in Christ? I get that God doesn't promise us bags of gold in this life, but that's, that's not the point anyway. As Jesus says, store up treasure in heaven. Is he not worth everything? Well, the ritual continues with the priest putting some of the blood and later some of the oil on the lobe of the right ear and the thumb of, the, of them and the, and the big toe on the person being cleansed. Now, if that sounds familiar, it's because it was the same thing for when the priests were ordained. We hear similar descriptions in chapter 8 of Leviticus. And doing this, as, as it was then, symbolized uh, basically anointing or, or smearing the blood on the whole person. Just like doing it on the horns of the altar. It symbolized doing it for the entire person. And upon doing all of that, what's the result? Let's read from halfway through verse 18. Then the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. The priest shall offer the sin offering to make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. And afterward he shall kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be clean. He shall be clean. That final sentence completes it. It's like an exclamation point on the whole thing. He shall be clean. 
As we saw last week, the word atonement can be used not just for the cleansing of sin, but also in ceremonial purification, and that's the sense here. Can you imagine the relief? Can you imagine the the joy for somebody who has been unclean, who has lived outside the camp, separated from their people, to now coming back in to be able to worship at the tabernacle, to be able to be in God's presence among God's people. What a foretaste of the joy that was to come. Well, our chapter's finished with laws about what to do if a house catches the disease. Notice in verse 34 how it says, when you come into the land of Canaan. See, this is the Lord making it clear that what he has promised to do, he will do. And these are the laws that they must continue to keep. And not only that, but notice that he also says, when I put a case of leprous disease in a house. Now, there's no reason given for this. We, we, we don't, the law doesn't say. It could be for judgment. It could be to test his people. It could simply be a statement about his sovereign hand over all things. The fact that he is the primary cause behind secondary causes like mold and mildew. But the point is, he is sovereign over all. And as he says, if that happens, this is what they are to do. They need to empty the house just in case and then get the priest to come and check it. And if it's got the same kinds of, of the signs that, are, that indicate that it's an infection, perhaps that it's deeper than the surface or it has greenish or reddish spots, then they need to shut up the house for seven days and observe and wait. All of it sounds very similar to what they did for a person who had a skin disease. But there are also some similarities with the garments too. If it continued, sorry, with the infected garments, if, if the, the infection is contained in the house, well, they can just take the stones out that have the infection and they can replace them. But if the whole thing spreads, well, it's time to demolish the house. Pull it apart piece by piece, take it, carry it outside the camp. Once again, the cost... And again, if they were in Darwin, I guess nobody would be living in houses. Especially in a world without air conditioning. You see, even houses were to be dedicated to the Lord. To live as a consecrated people, to live as people set apart It involved even their house. And again, the process of atonement was similar with the same result. In verse 53, we read that the house, uh, atonement is made for it and it is clean. Well, friends, as verse 54 says, summarizing all of this, This is the law for any case of leprous disease, for an itch, for leprous disease in a garment or in a house, and for a swelling or an eruption or a spot, to show when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law for leprous disease. We've just read the two chapters. I've just briefly given us a flyover over all of it. 
And I'm sure for you, like me, that alone feels like a huge ordeal. Imagine living it. Rob and I have just had the ordeal of trying to pack and move our house. Can you imagine having to do that every time there was mold in your house? You remove all the furniture, take it out, shut it up for seven days, live with a friend, live under a tree, something like that. I mean, granted, they would have had less stuff, but still. To be one of the Lord's people, to enter into his presence, we must be holy, holy. And yet, as the people of Israel recognized, we recognize that we fall far short of that standard. No doubt Israel fell short. We know that. They weren't perfect. And of course, God was gracious in their failure. And of course, God continued to graciously work, outwork his purposes through the people of Israel so that the one who would come would finally bring redemption. No doubt the Israelites, as we do today, cry out, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Yet those who trust in the Lord, trust in his steadfast love, in his forgiveness and his redemption, And he would ultimately bring that redemption about through his Messiah, the one who would come. And he would come as the unblemished, the spotless lamb. And he would come as the one who was not unclean and who could not be made unclean by touching those who were but instead he made the unclean clean. Matthew 8 tells us this story of Jesus' ministry just after he finishes the Sermon on the Mount. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand And touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Jesus did not need atonement, he did not need purification. Because he was never unclean. And yet his blood atoned for our sin. Not just any kind of uncleanness that we might have, but the uncleanness that resides in the very depths of our hearts. Instead of being afraid to touch the unclean for fear of becoming unclean, instead his touch made the unclean clean. Because his was a cleansing touch. And his cleansing of all those who come to him was not just from ceremonial uncleanness, but from our deepest uncleanness. 
As Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God and as he proved his claims by giving us a foretaste of the kingdom to come, by being able to make the lepers who resided outside the city gates clean, he demonstrated what that kingdom would finally look like. A kingdom, a world without any sin, without any uncleanness. And we enter that not through our perfect obedience, but through his. Because of his atoning sacrifice on the cross, through faith we may come to Christ. As one commentator put it, the difference between the two covenants is that the old covenant says, keep out, you are unfit. But the new covenant in Jesus says, draw near, let me make you clean. In the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no one unclean among God's people. All of God's people will be welcomed in. And they will do so because of the one who stretched out his hand and touched the unclean and cleansed them of all unrighteousness. We wait for the Lord. We wait in hope, in sure hope of his redemption in Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we recognize that we do not deserve your grace that we deserve to be cut off from you. And yet in your mercy, you have given us Jesus. The one whose blood atones, whose love is shown in his touch and in his cleansing of our unrighteousness. So Father, we pray that as uh, we seek to live as we seek to be wholly devoted to you, would you work in us through the power of your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen.